Matthew chapter 5, I can hear your Bibles already turning there. Matthew chapter 5, eighth beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, verse 11, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Come on now, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, a storm is coming. A flood watch is in effect. Well, at least that's what the notification on my phone said last Friday. I was sitting at my computer and I was trying to knock out my last work for the day, which each and every Friday, of course, is that pastor's note, which I pray does prepare your heart uh, for what God has for us on Sunday morning. I didn't think much of the warning because, well, it had been sunny most of the day, if you recall. And as I sat on my computer, I started to hear a little tapping at the window. I did indeed hear a little rumbling in the sky. But it was indeed last Friday, August the 7th, which just happens to be my youngest son Joshua's birthday. And I knew that this was waiting for me when I got home. Come on now, as cute as that little face is, mama made that volcano cake. And uh, she sculpted those dinosaurs as well. Okay, maybe not the dinosaurs, but I was pretty impressed by the cake. Come on, I just wanted to get my work done. I wanted to get home for that party. As I was clicking away at the keys, my hunt and peck method, all of a sudden the phone rang, and with it on the other end was Robin. And of course, Robin, my wife, is saying, when are you coming home? It's raining pretty hard. I said, I'll be home as soon as I'm done with the pastor's note. And she said, okay, but what happens if the gutters overflow? I said, honey, with the confidence of the Titanic captain in my heart, I said, honey, you do not have to worry about the gutters overflowing. Number one, I sealed all of the basement window wells. And indeed, honey, you would know, uh, this past Sunday, Monday, I was up on the ladder and I cleaned out all of the gutters for Hurricane Isaias that was coming through. Come on, I, I just want credit just for saying that, by the way, Isaias. <laughs> honey, if we can make it through a hurricane, I'm pretty sure we will be okay. And with that, I just got back to typing. Typing, 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 tick, 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 typing, typing. All of a sudden, the phone rings again. Honey, it is raining really hard now. When are you coming home? When are you coming home? I told you not to worry. She said, yeah, okay, don't worry. How about the gutters that are overflowing? What? But it's still not a problem. Is there any water, honey, coming into the basement window wells? Because after all, I sealed them. And she said, no. And I said, we'll be fine. Love you. See you soon. 
typing, 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 click, 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 typing, typing. Like a man, full of confidence, the phone buzzes, and in with this comes a text. Coming home? Question mark, exclamation point. The water is now coming into the window well. And by the way, we have a frog, L-O-L. Um, okay, at this point, she has my attention. This is no laughing matter. I'm going to kill the frog. Actually, kidding, kids. No, no frogs were harmed in this illustration at all. Just thought of that. At this point, I'm not laughing. Okay, okay, honey, how bad is it? Send me a picture. How high is the water now? Come on, show me. Show me a picture, honey. How high is the water now? Okay. There, no, next one. Come on, show me how high the water is. Show me. Oh, yes, yeah, see, see. Um, by the time I got home, it was up to that middle, um, that middle white bar there. Yes. I grab my bag, hop in the car, run home, can't see a thing on my drive home. And as I drive up to my house, I see a waterfall coming off of my downspouts into that window well. I run down into the basement just to see how bad it is. And as I go down uh, into the basement, I see the frog swimming like this, smiling at me. <laughs> With that, I run to the garage, grab a bucket, because I'm going to get my revenge on that frog and prove and keep firmly established my manhood. Throw on my shorts, put on a rain jacket, out I go. And the first thing I go after when I get to that window well, indeed, is the frog. He was the first thing to go. And just as I emptied that last bucket out of the window well, is this not Murphy's Law? Who is Murphy? I have no idea, but she wrote, he or she wrote a law. And it's like as soon as I was done with the last bucket, the rain completely subsided. I climb up out of the window well, feeling all kinds of victorious. I go inside of all kinds of um, valor, saying, Honey, I know I'm soaked. I know I didn't get my work done but the window well is perfectly dry. And with that, the heavens opened up another time. <laughs> it was like God's way of saying, I will show you. And the rain came down again, and the waterfall came over the spouts again, and I went out, and I looked, and I realized, as I looked at the window well, looked at the waterfall, looked at the window well, looked at the waterfall, I realized that's going to fill up again. I now have no choice. Just before I walked out of the house, by the way, I heard the news anchor say, 1,500 lightning strikes have struck uh, in our county, and I thought to myself, okay, Lord, love you. But I'm either going to go up and clean out that gutter or I am going to have thousands of dollars of damage in my basement. Up I go on the ladder. Second story, reach in and I grab, mind you, I grab out, come on, one handful of leaves. One handful of leaves was blocking the gutter and was going to cause my entire basement to be flooded. There is an entire illustration in that, but that's not the one. And as I pulled out the one handful of leaves, it was like a whirlpool. You know that sound, that beautiful sound? <sighs> like the water just gushed down, and I felt like a champ once more. And I kind of almost slid down the ladder. And then, and then, and then, victoriously, I danced a little. <laughs> That's a victory jig. Right there in the rain. 
What's the point? Pastor, you'd better have a point. A storm is coming. The warnings were there and I should have known. My phone buzzed more than once. My wife called me to warn me more than enough times, right? You see, as we come to the passage today, what do we find? Jesus is saying this, the rain is coming. Jesus is saying this, the flood watch is in effect and no Christian ought to be surprised by what is to come in the days ahead. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Here comes the rain. There is sun, after all, on the other side, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But rain is coming, nevertheless. Blessed are you when others revile you. Blessed are you when others persecute you. Blessed are you when others, when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Come on, but here's the deal. Rejoice. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. On the other side of the storm, you'll find those who had suffered through the rain as well. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you and so they will persecute you. The reality is if you look at the radar, there have been Seasons and there have been regions that have enjoyed rays of sun. I would pray by God's grace that we would take advantage of the mild climate that we've had the privilege to live in for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Oh God, forgive us for squandering our ability to freely preach and teach and live the life that you've called us to live. Other regions are sensing, perhaps you even are yourselves, the clouds that are beginning to roll in. If you really tune yourself to the spiritual radar, you would find spotches. Places where the rain was just a light green drizzle on that radar are now beginning to turn yellow and indeed a darker orange, and there are certain regions of our world where it is a deep, deep red, where there is a rain of oppression that has fallen upon the church, and indeed, there's always been those for and from its inception. And today the Lord says to the sleepy church, wake, Today, Jesus proclaims to us, we had best be ready. Will it be this generation? We don't know. Will it be the generation to come? Will we best prepare them? Whatever the case is, and the bottom line is this, as we come to this 10th and final beatitude, Jesus is saying persecution is coming. Even as it has come upon the church, indeed it will come upon it all at one point or another. We as a church need to be in a constant flood watch. The question today is, are you prepared for this? The question for me today is, am I prepared for this? And in, the only way that you can really answer this question is, can you really say blessed, happy, happy are the persecuted? The, really the, the litmus test of whether you're really prepared for this is, uh, would you really be able to say, I rejoice, 
I rejoice in the opportunity to suffer for Jesus. I rejoice in the opportunity for people to think ill of me. I rejoice in the sense that I stand out. I rejoice in the fact that my righteousness causes evil to cast upon me disdain. Or would you be able to say, I rejoice? And here, illustratively speaking, will you be able to dance in the rain? And so friends, today, indeed, God's word is going to prepare us. Indeed, God's word is going to strengthen our hearts in this way. And so if you're lacking, if you're needing, if you're longing to be prepared by the Lord, even for this, come on, if you're ready to jump into God's word, say, let it rain. Indeed. Matthew chapter 5, for those of you who are new, the context is this. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. This is just the introduction, by the way. We've been learning through the Beatitudes, eight statements made by Jesus at the introduction of the greatest sermon ever preached. Blessed are those. And now we've come to the eighth and final Beatitude where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. You would know this. This has been our outline throughout the series. Jesus uh, drew away from the crowd. He separated from the crowd. His disciples then sought after him, and then they sat with him as he taught them this sermon. And so this has been our outline each and every week. God is calling us to separate from the ways of the world in some way. He's calling us then to seek after him with real specificity and then sit in the security that his truth brings. And so what are we separating from today? Here it comes. He's calling us, his disciples, we, his church, to separate from the receptivity of the crowd. He's calling us away from this insatious need to to be liked and to be a part of. And I know, I know, I know, I know. I know this probably sounds a little bit counterintuitive, right? Because you remember what last week's uh, beatitude was? Blessed are the, come on, somebody, blessed are the, say it louder peacemakers, right? So it sounds a little counterintuitive today that like this first point is separate, right? Separate from the acceptance of the crowd when like last week, didn't we just learn that we're supposed to be peacemakers? Like shouldn't we be moving towards? Shouldn't we be seeking unity? Shouldn't we be looking for harmony? And shouldn't we even desire receptivity? Yes. But in our pursuit of these things, in our pursuit of peace, there will be those who will not like that. Even the very next passage, the very next passage, as you know, verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. You are a city on a hill, a light of the world. We're even called to do good works so that what? People will see, people will see our good deeds and be able to glorify our God in heaven. We are called indeed to be winsome. We're called indeed to be all that we can do, to do all that we can to be gracious and to be winsome and, and, and lovable amongst the world. But indeed, the Lord calls us to really walk a tightrope. Indeed, the Lord calls us You want to hold one end of this, by the way? You want to? Would you hold one end of this for me? I need a, Joel, can you hold the other end of this? Would you mind holding the other end of this? Can you stand up here with that? You guys actually have to hold it, though. 
Can you just hold it tight? Hold it, like, stand there, and you stand there. Can you just grab an end? Can you grab, just, yeah, stand over there. Come, come this way a little bit. You see, the Lord calls us, doesn't he, to walk a tightrope. In some ways, right, the Lord says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? John 3, 16. But then in 2 John 2, 15, it says this, do not love the world nor the things in it. Do not be consumed by the world whatsoever. You see, on one side, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we are the aroma of life. But in that very same verse, sorry, you're the bad one in all of these, we're the aroma of death. Be in the world, but not of the world. Aroma of life, aroma of death. For God so loved the world, but do not love the world. We, we're called as well to be ambassadors of peace. But then at the same time, we are called to proclaim God's prophetic truth upon the world. And guess what? They just do not like that. And so, man, life is like what? Can you hold it tight, please? Life is like walking on it. Can you move it this way a little bit? It's like walking, not too close, walking on a tightrope. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's scary. And you want to be loving, but you also want to honor the Lord. You, you don't want to lose friends, but you don't want to dishonor your God. And you're like, what in the, how does this work? What is this tightrope? How do you know that you're really living the way that the Lord's called you to live? How, how do you know? The Beatitudes tell us the way that you first find yourself on this is to realize, blessed are those who mourn, for I am a sinner who needs a Savior. Blessed are those who humble themselves and they're filled with meekness. And in so doing, we cry out to the Lord to forgive our sins, and indeed he does, and he places inside us a hunger and a thirst for, tell me, what are we hungering and thirsting for? Righteousness. And this righteousness now that he gives is what? It's the righteousness by which we make peace. Does anybody remember what the definition, you guys have this, by the way? You guys, you gotta have it, you holding it? Because at any point, my life could be in your hands. <laughs> peace, the preeminent presence of, tell me, tell me, say righteousness. Righteousness, so here's the point. We know that we're walking in the ways of Christ when we are walking the tightrope of righteousness. And as you take each step, you're, reminding the, you're being reminded by the Lord, Father, I know, except by your grace, there would go I. Father, I mourn over my own sin, and so I come to you, and I weep before you, Lord God. Please continue, Lord God, to forgive me Give me the meekness that I need to live each day and to be a winsome, savoring fragrance. God, I'm hungering and I'm thirsting for your righteousness. And now, Lord God, I seek to make peace by living. And then there comes this step. can have a seat. You can have a seat. There comes that step, isn't there? 
that next step where you're pretty sure the bottom's going to fall out. That next step where you're like, I know I've got this much, I've got this far, I know I'm a sinner, but I go to church and it's safe there and I go home and I... But now this one, this next step on this tightrope of righteousness is that I need to be willing to be persecuted. Jesus has a complimentary text in Luke chapter 6 that says this. Come on, you got to be willing to walk my tightrope of righteousness. For to fall to one side or the other, to be enslaved or entrapped or to be coerced by the ways of the world, to not be willing to separate yourself from it, Jesus would say this in Luke chapter 6, woe to you. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did of the false prophets. Jesus is saying, come on, be careful. Be cautious of the receptivity of the crowd. Don't count blessings of your life merely by popularity. Don't count your blessings merely by your comforts. Don't count your blessings merely by how easy you pass from this life to the next. Rather, come on, blessed are those who are persecuted. Jesus says, be careful. The Apostle Paul said, just note this, the size of the crowd doesn't matter for there will be those who will gather for themselves, speakers who will tickle their ears. For people won't endure sound teaching any longer, but they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander into myths. As for you, though, church, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Do you see it? The work of an evangelist is a polarizing work. The work of an evangelist is walking the tightrope of righteousness with the strength, the favor, and the balance of the Lord. Let us walk the tightrope. Tell the truth. Stand for righteousness. Walk out the first seven Beatitudes day after day after day and let the Lord then do this. Let him separate the wheat from the chaff. Let the Lord separate the sheep from the goats. But what Jesus is saying here is this. Note this. Eventually, the chaff will choke you and the goats will bite. Blessed are those, blessed are you when others will revile you and persecute you. You see, friends, I want us to note here today, and it's so important that we do, especially given the season that we're living in, that there's a major difference between persecution and trial. There's a major difference theologically and biblically between persecution, what the Bible calls persecution, and what the Bible calls a trial. Persecution is not just getting bit. Persecution, even by way of this verse, is getting bit for what? For righteousness' sake. Getting bit for seeking to walk out the ways of the Lord in this complicated world. Persecution, at its root, 
inference of the definition. It speaks of being pursued. To be persecuted is to be pursued. It's to be pursued and oppressed specifically for your faith. Do you catch that? Persecution is to be pursued and oppressed specifically for your faith. Number two, to be isolated, drawn out, and ill-treated because of a righteous stand. In this text right here in verse 11, Jesus gives us three kinds and three types of persecutions. By God's grace, perhaps you haven't experienced all of these. Perhaps you have at some form or another at a varying degree. But let's be very careful that whatever it was we experienced, it can only be persecution if it was done because of our faith, not because of our knuckleheadedness. That it was for a righteous stand we took and not merely a political stand that we took. You see it? Verbal persecution. Blessed are those when they revile you, mock, insult, name call. Indeed, this would be one that I'm sure many of you in this room have experienced at some level or another. Physical persecution for sure. Persecute, to attack, to punish, to draw out, to isolate, and to bring about some form of corporal or physical punishment. The third one that he mentions, which is kind of a, a connection to the first, of course, is slander. Lies. Stories made up to kind of cast uh, the crowd away from uh, that, those whom the Lord has called to himself. And friends, note this. Christians, followers of Jesus, have endured slander and lies from the beginning. The Romans had a field day. Drawing up all kinds of accusations against the early church. You take communion, you eat of the bread, you eat of the cup, you take of the body of the body and the blood of the Lord. All right, so now you're a cannibal. What is this thing, church, you call a love feast? And they attached all kinds of perverseness to it and caused people to look upon the church in, in wretched and horrible ways. Oh, what is this? You have a king. What is this? You have a king. Do you not know that to unite the Roman Empire, Caesar was given some measure of deity and the way that you were able to form alliance uh, to uh, the nation and to one another indeed was bowing to Caesar. Are you telling me you're not willing to bow to Caesar because you have a king? And with that, the early church lost much. Homes, relationships, loved ones, Indeed, it is written that even Nero would use Christians as human torches. They would have been fed to wild animals as well. Friends, let us be careful of that which we call persecution in our day. And whatever it is we endure, let it be done for righteousness' sake and let it be done for the sake of our faith. May we not waste or exhaust any breath or one ounce of energy towards that which is not righteously moving forward the cause of Jesus Christ. Let us do personal inventory on this. You see, persecution 
Now trial. A trial is a test. It's an examination. It's a demanding opportunity presented to us by the Lord, either allowed or presented by God himself to us that our faith may be proven and even strengthened, that we might be counted faithful and righteous before him. Under these definitions, friends, by and large, what you and I have faced predominantly in life is a trial. They've been trials. It's not to say that there haven't been even those in this room who've been singled out. We know for a fact that persecution is happening all around the world, and that's why we, church, who, are in, who, are in, who have enjoyed seasons of mild weather, we ought to stand with the church around the world who is suffering for the name of Jesus. And so even now, here, church, listen very carefully. Even in our contemporary context, what we've been going through these last days, weeks, and months, indeed, by these definitions, predominantly, we are enduring a trial. It's important that we define it as such because it will change and it will set the posture by which we need to come before the Lord for strengthening In our context, we've all, we've all, we've all been enduring the effects of this season. Even as it pertains to the the mandates and the guidance of our political leaders, friends, think of it. Whatever you may think of them, by the way, their legalities and their constitutionalities and all of those things which uh, can be debated amongst us for sure, but as it pertains to our faith, as it pertains to how they have affected the church, as they've affected the church, the things that have been asked of us have also been asked of our broader community as well. And so in this way, the church hasn't been singled out or isolated. And by God's grace, we thank him for that. We do see spots on the radar, though, don't we? Where the church has been singled out. Nevertheless, whether persecution, whether trial. It's crucial, friends, that we understand that the Lord makes it very clear that we never waste a trial, that we never waste a moment of oppression or indeed even persecution that would fall upon us. Listen, Romans chapter 5 says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see it, friends? Seasons of trial are given to us by the Lord so that we can be strengthened to endure persecution when it comes. I believe with all of my heart the trials that I face are strengthening my spirit, are preparing my heart so that when we are isolated, when we are singled out, when it is Jesus or death, the Lord by his grace will grant us the strength to proclaim his name above all.
And friends, here's the deal. And here's the part where I've been incredibly convicted this past week. If we as the church at large cannot endure a trial without losing our lunch, however are we going to stand the test when real persecution comes upon us? We may not like it, but if we're not singled out, it's not persecution. And if it's not persecution, then we need to look at God's word and say, as an adorning witness to Jesus Christ, I'm going to hold intention, Lord God. I'm going to hold intention the principles that you've given to us in your word. And I'm going to endure. I'm going to submit to you each and every day. And as a church, we're going to respect governing authorities, but we're also going to respect one another's conscience on the matter. Hear me. My responsibility is to bring to you how it affects within the spiritual realm. Others uh, who are wise within the political landscape uh, can speak to those matters, but as it pertains to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us endure this trial. How are we going to endure it? Do you know? Do you know what Jesus calls you to, even in the midst of persecution and indeed a trial as well? Do you know? It's rejoice. The way you, the way you endure is by rejoicing. So point number two is simply this. We have got to seek to rejoice in the Lord's call. Rejoice in the Lord's call. He says rejoice, 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 rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Lord is calling us to willingly suffer for him. Even here where it says, blessed are those who have been persecuted. Those who have been persecuted. Within, within the original Greek, this is written in the passive perfect participle. It's a passive perfect participle. You're like, really, pastor? Passive perfect participle? Speak English. I'm trying. Here it comes. But you not, might not like what it actually Im implies now. The perfect passive participle basically says this. Those who allow themselves to be persecuted. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. Blessed are those who count it a privilege to be persecuted for me. Blessed are those who are willing to endure, is what he's saying. This falls in line with the woe in Luke chapter 6. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Ready, here it comes. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Come on, here it comes. Here's, here's the willingness part. To those who strike you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Why? Because Jesus fights for us. Why? Because Jesus provides all of my needs. And if I give all that I have away, he'll provide what I need for tomorrow. For do you see the birds of the field? 
you see how they eat? Do you see the lilies of the valley? Do you see how they're clothed? Your Lord God will take care of you. That's the depth of faith that he's calling us to. When I hear this, I immediately think of the apostles in Acts chapter 5. You know the text. You know the story so well. The apostles are preaching Jesus' name, and they get rounded up, and they come before the council. Listen to what happens. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. You know what they did next? You know? Do you know? They rejoiced. They rejoiced. They sang. They danced back home. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. It's an honor. Rejoice when they speak ill of you, for you must be doing something right. It's an honor to suffer for the Lord, and I know it's so hard to get our minds around. I think think of the Apostle Paul who said this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, I rejoice. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, Paul says, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? Like, was Jesus' death not enough? Like more suffering has to be done? No, one drop of Jesus' blood paid the penalty for sin forevermore. But you see, the debt had been paid, but the account was left open. And each and every time you and I willingly suffer for Jesus, our suffering is is added to the account as an act of worshipful glory unto the Lord. Is that not a tremendous thought? For the sake of Christ, then, Paul goes on, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. God's kingdom is so upside down. We think we have the greatest influence when we have all the power. The apostle Peter said this, but rejoice. Rejoice in so far as you get to share in Christ's sufferings that you may be also that you may also rejoice and be glad when, the, when his glory is revealed. Do you see how the apostles actually lived this? They heard Jesus' beatitude and then they actually rejoiced. I wonder if we would ever have the privilege to rejoice in this way. Many, many of us would pray that we don't. I know how hard of a word this is but yet Jesus spoke and he prepared us. Jesus called us always to remember his words. You remember these words? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what Jesus said. He said, while, for if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. No servant's greater than his master, is he? Friends, this isn't a maybe. It's a count on it. This isn't an if. It's a when. 
And if it's not our generation, perhaps it's the one to come. And if it's not you, mom or dad, perhaps it's the one you have your arm around. That's why we're always seeking to be established in the Lord. That's why we're always seeking to be strengthened in worshiping him. That's why. Because we're at least one day closer than we were yesterday to this day that Jesus says is coming. Oh, let us not grow weary. Let us not fall asleep. Let us not go hazy in our view. Let us be thinking on these things. Let us grow serious about the mission of Jesus for you have been called to this. The Lord wants us to see that there is no greater witness in this world than us being willing to suffer for him if he calls us to it. There's no greater witness than this. There's no greater credential that you would be able to submit to anyone who would question your faith than your willingness to lay it all down for Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, man, now i got to talk like a fool to defend myself. That's what he said to the Corinthians. Is Paul really an apostle? Is he really serving Jesus? Does he really love the Lord? Is he really who he says he is? He's like, oh, great. Now I have to defend myself and tell you how great I am in my spiritual life. Has anyone ever been in that place? And when the church of Corinth came to, P- to Paul with that, he could, have, he could have so went Philippians 3 on him, right? Like, I, I am a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? I was trained by the greatest rabbi of our day. As it pertains to, you know, you know how it goes. I'm a Roman citizen. I mean, come on. Paul could have been like, I went up to the third heaven, yo. Where are you at? Is that, what he, is that what he pulls out of his portfolio to prove his faithfulness unto the Lord? Not at all. Instead, listen to what he says. I count it all. I count it all as a loss for the sake of Christ, he says. Look at this. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, Paul says, far more, but I've had far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews and 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night and day. I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul says, you know what my credential is? You see these scars? You see these wounds? You see the friends who've walked away from me? You see what I don't have? That which I don't have is my greatest asset, for I have Christ instead. This is how I'm counted faithful. Not by that which I've received, but that which I've willingly released from myself. That which God has taken from me and I've willingly let go. Why? Because suffering is our greatest honor. But man, that's so easy to say in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So easy for me to say in this steel plexus something podium with lights shining on and way too cold air conditioning blowing over us. I said it, I said it. You can hold the emails now. That's not persecution, by the way, that's trial. (laughs) 
how do you preach something that you aspire to but never want to experience? Christian, just, I mean, think about it. How do you sit under and how do you pass this on to the next generation and say, this is what we aspire to, kids, but man, we just pray we never have to have to do that. How do we get there? It's going to cost us everything, but the reward is great. It's going to cost us everything, but the reward is great. We're going to sit in the reward of the Father's condemnation. One day he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not because you're strong. It's because your God is great. It's not because you were able to endure. It's because he gave you the strength to say, yes, Jesus. If you're ever blessed to die a martyr's death, I believe the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, will give you the strength to endure. That's what I believe. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Jesus says, worthy, worthy. You're worthy to suffer as Christ suffered. You're worthy to suffer as the prophets before you suffered. For so they persecuted the prophets and so they'll persecute you. Think about this. James 1.12 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being in glory and receiving? To be counted amongst the prophets who were martyred and persecuted for the sake of Jesus. Could you imagine? To the church in Smyrna, John wrote this. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Revelation chapter 2. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. But he says this. <laughs> be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the scripture says to the churches. What the scripture, what the spirit says to the churches, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Like when Jesus says to lay your life down like he means it. Then it says this, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. If we really believe to be absent from the bodies, to be present from the, with the Lord. If we really believe to breathe our last life on earth will lead to our next breath in heaven. Come on. The words of Peter now make a lot more sense. Hear these as we close. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Sound familiar? Have no fear of them nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who has asked you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. By the way, uh, they're asking for hope. Why? Because you're enduring hardship. You're enduring persecution. What is this hope that you have in you that allows you to still stand? 
Come on, do so having a good conscience, verse 16, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you and your good behavior in Christ, that they would be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in spirit. Friends, this is one of those messages where you just want the scriptures to do the talking, where you want the spirit of God to do the working. And indeed, verse after verse after verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. I mean, at some point, you got to shut it down for the sake of time. Read your Bible. It's everywhere. God is calling us to be faithful even unto this. And so the question today is this. Are you ready? The question today is this. Are you prepared? Here's the litmus test of preparation. You're able to rejoice. Are you able to rejoice and say, happy will I be if I am able to suffer for the name of Jesus? I will rejoice and I will sing my heart out unto the Lord. Even as Jehoshaphat put the choir at the front of the army that defeated the army that was way too big, even as the apostle Paul sang in shackles before the prison door flung open, even as... Jim Elliott and Nate Saint sang a hymn before trying to reach the Ahakas. Friends, what will enable us to be able to endure, to be able to stand? It is a submissive worship unto the Lord for what does it mean to rejoice? That we'd find joy. That we would sing. That we would find our strength in worshiping Christ alone. Take a listen to this audio. Consider where you are before the Lord on this, and then join us as we sing in response. I would invite you to stand when you have done your business with the Lord as we begin that final song. Let's watch together. Jehoshaphat aims to conquer Moab with a choir. God had said, the battle is mine to fight. And Jehoshaphat says, well, let's put the choir at the front. Verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy array as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. In other words, shout to victory before the battle commences because God had promised it. I think the writer of this book wants us to learn from verse 22, even though victory belongs to God, the singing of the choir is the occasion for the victory. Singing is not merely a response to grace. Singing is a means of grace. Singing is power. When you sing, the Holy Spirit comes and does something. 
Jehoshaphat sang with the choir, Moab and Ammon and Seir killed themselves. And when Paul and Silas sang, it says, God shook the prison. Surely the lesson is there is power when the people of God sing. Jim Elliott, you remember? January 8, 1956. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and three others. They were there at the river, waiting to see whether the Alcas would come out, the Indians to whom they were going to minister. The last word that the headquarters received from them, according to Elizabeth Elliot, her book, The Shadow of the Almighty, was that they sang a hymn before they crossed over. And what they sang was this, we go in faith, our own great weakness feeling, needing more each day thy grace to know, Yet from our hearts, a song of triumph pealing, we rest on thee, and in thy name we go. And they all got killed before 4.30 in the afternoon. And God protected them. He protected them from unbelief, from cowardice, from fear, from going home and buying a house in the suburbs and saying somebody else can reach the Alcas. There was victory on that afternoon. It's reverberated over the last 30 years and it'll continue on into eternity. There are two weapons that we have to fight Satan with in worship. The Word of God and song. I beseech you, give heed to the Word and sing with all your